0: follow along, September 19th, 2010, lecture discussion number 15 on the Book of Romans. And so we begin today, as we always should, with the question of where are we now? Always an appropriate question here at beautiful downtown Cliffside Community Chapel. And that we are prone, okay, I am prone to leaving the tour group and wandering off without approval or supervision. I do it all the time. It is part of my nature. I can't stop myself. So it's always wise to activate the GPS and find out where I've ended up. Because some of the time you are with me. So we are lost together. But where we are is this. We're still battling through the dense foliage that is circumcision. What am I doing? I'm trying to go around and pick up the essential pieces. What do I think are the essential pieces? I think the essential pieces... Or Genesis 17. Okay, then where do I go? You can do this. Where do I go after that? I go to Genesis 34. And then after Genesis 34, where do I go? I go to Joshua 9, right? Actually, 9 and 10. Then where? Okay, then I go to Second Samuel 21. What am I doing here? Actually, I really start in Genesis, what, 3.15 with Adam, and I get back into this this way. So if you want Genesis 3.15, Genesis 17, Abrahamic covenant, the sign of circumcision established. Genesis 34, where circumcision is used as a murder weapon, essentially. That's a roundabout way of putting it, but it's mostly accurate. Joshua 9 and 10, where the people who are murdered show up again, the Gibeonites, the descendants of them. And they very well are aware, by the way, if you ever want to know who did probably the definitive work, I'm going to say it's A.W. Pink on the Gibeonites. I hope that's true. If you don't have some of his work, it's worth getting. But anyway, uh, Joshua 9 and 10 is the reestablishment of the Gibeonites back in Scripture. Uh, Once again, dealing with oaths and covenants and... All kinds of deception. And then 2 Samuel 21, again I have Gibeonites. So I'm tracking the Gibeonites right here. Finally going back to Romans 2 where we belong, right? Which is where we started all of this. So I'm attempting to at least pick up the essential pieces. What I think are the essential pieces and then when you inspect them and you put them all in a group or a whole, you can solve the mystery of circumcision. Kathy was telling me about a friend of hers who uh, has listened to some of the CDs, and he picked up on the fact that I start out one lecture saying I'm going to do a, a secret sensitive uh, visitor-friendly uh, little lecture on circumcision. And he's about to spit his coffee all over himself, apparently. <laughs> that is what we're doing. We're trying to solve the mystery that circumcision, I want you to know what it means. It's very important that you know what it means. It's all over the Bible. It is all over Romans. Why is it God selected it as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant of promise and blessing and grace? Why did He pick circumcision? He wants you to go back. When you see the word circumcision, He wants you to go back somewhere. Where does He want you to go back? That's right, Adam. He wants you to look at that. Fig tree. I was talking about the fig tree with Steve and Talia just before. I want you to look at it. Look at those two decisions of Adam. Look at what happened there. Why is man corrupt? What is sin? Why is circumcision corrupt? The sign of the Abrahamic covenant of promise and blessing and grace. Then it's just a matter of adding the meaning. Once you've got the meaning of circumcision, then you can add that sign to what? You've got the sign of the Abrahamic covenant figured out. Yay for you. What do you do next? You go to the Noadic covenant. What's the sign of the Noadic covenant? It is light colliding with Water. Now you're in a discussion on the symbolism, if you will, of the collision of light and water producing a rainbow, right? Then you have the Noadic covenant, you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the two signs all together, and you go where? Mosaic covenant. And now you take the sign of the Mosaic covenant, which is what? The Sabbath. Why is the Sabbath the sign? It is the day of rest. It is the great Sabbath rest. When I say great Sabbath rest, that's somebody's name. Whose name is the great Sabbath rest? It's also a time. The great Sabbath rest is what time? If you are in the time of the great Sabbath rest, what time are you in? That's right. Who yelled that out? Troy again. Did you hear what Troy said? Stand up, Troy. Yell it four times. Sit back down. He yelled out millennium, didn't you? Okay, good. Troy gets another A. A for Troy. How many A's is that so far tonight? Glad you came. But it's also the name of somebody. He is called this. He is the Sabbath. He is called the great Sabbath rest. Come to me, you're tired, you're broken. I am the place of rest. Who says that? Christ. Christ's name is... So the sign, circumcision again, Christ crucified. You've heard me say that many times. You can almost substitute them and be accurate. The great Sabbath rest, the sign of the Mosaic Covenant... And you know what happens if you don't let the land rest every seven years? What does God do to you? Don't work the land. If you keep working the land every year, you never give the land a year off, you never rest, you make him up unhappy with you, and he sends the Babylonians. That's exactly what he does, because you are violating a doctrinal principle. What doctrinal principle are you violating? You are violating the great Sabbath rest, which is the doctrine of the redemptive work of Christ, right? So once you have that, the sign of the Mosaic Covenant, the Noahic Covenant, and the Abrahamic Covenant, then where do you go? Did you say Davidic Covenant? I'm getting tired of that. Troy. Davidic Covenant. What is the sign of the Davidic Covenant? That's absolutely right. It's the hypostatic union. What does your dad call it? I can't remember what your dad, dear, calls the hypostatic union. He says the only church he's ever gone to that talks about hyperbolic parabolas or something. That's what he says. It's one of his jokes. But you have to know what the hypostatic union is. What is the hypostatic union? It is the holy thing. It is God adding humanity, it is the union of God and humanity. Who is the hypostatic union? That is Christ again. So now you're putting it all together. And by now, once you get those signs all together, you've got the sign that is circumcision, the sign that is water colliding with light, the sign that is the great Sabbath rest, the sign that is the holy thing. What sign do you add to it and mix it all up and bring it to buffet? What do you do? You go get the sign of Jonah. You're ready to mix in the sign of Jonah, which is death, burial, resurrection (coughs) after 72 hours, after three days and three nights. And no, I know many people be unhappy with me because they think it's a half a day and a half a day and a third of a day. And they come up with about 30 hours. And I taught math. And to me, it's clearly 72. God did not stutter. So that eliminates what? Yeah, eliminates that. Friday crucifixion, so you don't get your three days off, and I'm sorry about that. Not really. That's a fake sorry. You cannot, for those of you who have not heard me talk about this in the past, you cannot move two million people to the Red Sea from Egypt in 30 hours. You can't do it. And that pattern of the exodus of Israel from Egypt has to match the pattern of the crucifixion week. So anytime somebody tells you that, I, that it was a crucifixion on a Friday, all you do is say, How fast can I move, move old women, goats and chickens, a bunch of donkeys, uh, camels and horses, a bunch of people that don't really like each other, how fast can I move them a couple hundred miles? Can I do it in 30 hours? Because they've got to cross the Red Sea on resurrection on Firstfruits. They've got to get across that Red Sea on Resurrection Sunday, which is the feast day of Firstfruits. And it can't be done mathematically. And the sign of Jonah is three days and three nights, 72 hours. It works just fine. All you have to do is believe God when he says something. Anyway, once you've got that, then you've got to add in the other four covenants because there's eight total. And that means you're back to where? It's all one big run around, chase your tail circle. That's right. You're back into the Edenic covenant, and then the Adamic covenant, and then Deuteronomy 31 through 10, and then Jeremiah 31, 31 through 37. Those are your eight covenants. And those last two are usually called the great restoration to the land. So it is the return to the land, if you will, and the new covenant, which is Jeremiah. One of those occurs, excuse me. Ah. One of those occurs before the millennial rule of Christ, just before, and the other occurs during the millennial reign. Anyway, we today are gathering more information on circumcision, and thus we are at Joshua 9 and 10. Where today we're going to start diagramming them out. It's always a good idea to make great big lists, because it makes you a list maker, and everyone loves a list maker. Okay, no one loves a whiny little list maker, but it's still a really good idea to do it as you go through the Bible. And I hope you understand that after today if you've not seen me do it before. So we're at Joshua 9 and 10, and that is the second part of the Gibeonite saga that began at Genesis 34, goes through Joshua 9 and 10, and ends at 2 Samuel 21. And I call it a three-act play. Some argue with me. They say Nehemiah is really the end of it, and it's a four-act play. It's the Paul Harvey rest of the story, so to speak, in Nehemiah. And I don't argue that Nehemiah Duff definitely honors the men of Gibeon. They're within the registry. The Gibeonites end up in the registry of Ezra. And that's an extraordinary thing. They're among those who return from Babylonian captivity. They are among those who who weep and rejoice because they understand. Let me put that again. They weep and they have great joy because they understand. They know something. Ezra sits them down and he reads to them, by the way, you should notice whenever somebody sits down and reads to a congregation of Jews. Joshua did it, Ezra does it. Very important times uh, for those people. And those, the Gibeonites, they weep and they rejoice because they understand the entire Pentateuch. They know what every part of it means. They have got it locked down. They are, if you will, students of the Pentateuch. What's that? That's correct. Josiah does it too. He finds the lost Pentateuch. He finds the manuscript of Moses, and he sits down and reads that. Hilkiah found it, couldn't read it. Had to take it to who? Found the handwritten, if you will, manuscript of Moses, and no one knew what it was, in the sense they couldn't figure out what it said. Had to take it to somebody. Had to find a scholar. Who'd they find? That's right, a woman. There goes your excuses. You're not just here to bring the buffet, though that is a very... Very high calling, I will give you that, but no, you have a responsibility to know the Pentateuch, and you will be held accountable for it. You can do it, and I absolutely intend for you to do it, and that 's who the Gibeonites became. They became people who understood don 't go past that they understood what was in that. Law of Moses. And Nehemiah chapter 8 is about the conviction and the joy that comes through understanding. Great gladness that comes from knowing something about your Bible. And they never say in the Bible you have great gladness and conviction and joy from just hanging out. You've got to know what you're talking about in the sense you've got to know what you believe. That's where gladness and joy come from. And also weeping. If I said this, let me get on a tangent here really fast. I said the doctrine of mortification. Anybody know what I meant? Doctrine of mortification is mortify. means to kill something. What are you trying to kill doctrinally? I think I almost got... Huh? That's right. You're trying to kill yourself. Mortification is putting to death your old flesh... Putting to death that which is sinful. Fighting among, inside yourself. The fight that goes on when you're saved, Holy Spirit has a war. Who's He got to fight? You, me, us, and. Because we want to do what? Run around like idiots and sin and create havoc for ourselves. We want to destroy ourselves, our nature. Ooh, look, a burning building. Let me run there. Quickly. We do it. It's us. We'll knock somebody over. Steal his motorcycle. Hey, I saw you come in, Robin. Pretty nice. Steal his motorcycle. Run into, drive our motorcycle into. Robin has a nice motorcycle, by the way. And so does blue, of course. But uh, we expect that out of blue. It's cool when it's round. But uh, anyway, the point is, is that we will chase ourselves into. We will jump. Oh, a cliff. I can jump that. That 's us, and so mortification, the doctrine and is is this wrestling with our sin nature, and that by the way, is the theme of Joshua nine and ten, as you begin to study nine and ten, you see these pictures of us, of you, of me, being portrayed in there, fighting. Um, in the sense that we are struggling with our sin nature. That is one of the great themes of Joshua. So, certainly we should at least include Nehemiah. Nehemiah is correct. People who think that Nehemiah is the fourth chapter are correct in that sense. The Gibeonites are characterized by understanding and wisdom. It's those who persevere, who make it. And as an aside, for those who like to read ahead, you can read uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. We'll have to get into that just a little bit, just to clean it all up. But it's also quite valuable to find Deuteronomy 29, 29. Because this is something that whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you need to know. The secret things belong to the Lord. What are they? Secret things. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. point of that is, is God has Secrets. He has secret things. And He reveals them. What's the obvious question? How many you got? How many secret things do you have? The purpose of the Old Testament is to testify and to reveal the secret things that are Jesus Christ. John 5.39 That is the whole purpose of the Old Testament. So whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you're trying to find Christ first and foremost. And if you do that... You will find secret things, and we should strive to be the stewards, the keepers of the mysteries of God, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. We should know what the mysteries are, we should know what they're about, and we should be able to discuss them with others, especially our kids. Show me a child in trouble, and I'll show you a child that does not have one secret thing, not one. I can bring them in, and I do on occasion, and I give the children the secret thing test, and they come out zeroes. They're in trouble. No wisdom. No wisdom. They're going to see me in a body bag sooner or later, not figuratively. Not, I'm, I'm sorry, not literally, figuratively. Kids come back, they run into one professor, and they think he knows something, and he destroys them. When in truth, they should be able to handle all of that so easily. It is infantile what goes on as wisdom in the academe nowadays. Anyway, God reveals the deep things of of Himself. He reveals the deep things of God to those who, who seek wisdom, who are mature. Those are the ones who will be taught the hidden things. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. To him that overcomes is given the hidden manna, Revelation 2.17. My point to all of this is there are deep things that are in his word, mostly in his Old Testament, revealed in his New Testament, but in both places. But the Old Testament is completely filled with secret things, and all the deep things in his word are concealed, and it is the honor to search them out. That is why it is on our bulletin, those of you who get the bulletin. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search out of matter. God hides things from you. Why? He wants you to find them. Why? Because He values the process. Why? Because He's trying to make you something. What? Transformed. Holy. Formidable. Strong. I, I really do wish many times i was talking to i can't remember who it was last week but you can remind me because it was a whole week ago we were watching the football game i made the comment i always wanted to call myself the 11th baptist church of anchorage or the 16th methodists or you know 22nd lutheran or whatever you would pick but I, you know because there's also many firsts and i thought well let's add them all up there's 72 Baptist churches. I wanted to be the 73rd Baptist church. I thought that would be kind of funny. I also, as you know, would like to put signs in the parking lot that the ones closest to the entryway, I would put, biggest tither gets to park here. I think that would be really funny. And then I put them way in the back over here. Smallest either parks here, just to see what people would do. I, I think that I would. I'd make the paper. You know, I would. It'd be hysterical. And, and of course, when they call me, I'd say, Absolutely, I'm serious. You bet. That'd be great. But I really also wanted to call, the, just go around and call churches and say, I was thinking about you changing your name to Boneless Chicken Church of God. None of your people can even walk. And I know it. So, again, the obvious question how many secrets can you say you found? One of the first books I hand out is Ada Ruth Habershon's Study of the Types. Bunch of secrets in there. So, I want you to have some secrets because with secrets comes strength. Okay, previously we have read all of Joshua 9 and all of Joshua 10. They're two halves of a whole. Joshua 9 and 10 fit together. Joshua 9 outlines the deception used, that which was conceived by the Gibeonites, to gain a covenant of peace. They looked out. They saw this massive army out there. They realized that God was uh, in charge of it, if you will, in the sense that he was fighting on their behalf. They watched Jericho go down in fortified city without even a whimper everybody dead except for Rahab right they see all of that and they know this is a big problem and they also know who they're dealing with because they've dealt with them before not these particular people but their their forefathers had and you could be sure that that massacre was still very much ingrained in their culture and when Israel began to march out of Egypt and come towards Canaan the Gibeonites knew who they were They still had relatives that were captured and hauled off in that group. And they knew it. Now, hundreds of years in between, but they knew who they were dealing with. If you don't think that's the truth, go over sometime to the Middle East and ask them if they know their history over there. They know it. They'll remember 500 years ago, this guy stole a cow from my forefather. That's what they do. They keep score. And they know So Joshua 9 outlines the deception used and conceived by the Gibeonites to gain a covenant of peace. And Joshua 10 records the aftermath and the consequences of that covenant to the Gibeonites and to Israel and what God does. And we were in the midst of comparing the lists in an attempt to separate out that which was in common and that which is distinct. And that's what I want you to start doing, making lists and start comparing your lists. And now... In this case, you have three places to compare. You don't have just Joshua 9 and Joshua 10. (coughs) You've got to also keep in mind Genesis 34. It's got to remain at the forefront. And all of this is about what? Why are we making the list, looking at all of this stuff? What are we doing here? Circumcision, Romans 2. All of this is about the sign that is circumcision. And this allows us to understand the deep hidden thing... That is the sign of circumcision. And when Paul writes the book of Romans, he assumes something. What's he assumed? That you understand the deep hidden thing that is the sign of circumcision. And if you don't understand it, well, your chances are getting through it. Zip. Oh, you'll get something. It doesn't go away wasted. But you will not fully understand the book of Romans. And you will be... And I always wanted, you know, I coached at Bartlett, as many of you know, for all those years, and we were the Bartlett Golden Bears. And I'd go into my halftime speeches, and I coached at Grace Christian as well, as most of you know, and we were the Grace Christian Grizzlies. And I'd give my halftime speeches and say, I don't think so. We are not. We have no strength. We are little tiny lambs. The grace Christian, lambs. And so I'm so desperate that you get at least one weapon here. And that is the sign that is circumcision. So let's put on the board the two lists, Joshua 9 and the list that is Joshua 10. And we're going to pick off a few maybe of them. There's a, They're big lists. and take a lot of writing. I, I, I cleaned off the board. In both places, so I can rotate the board over because it is the super platinum model, and it rotates. So I'm very excited today may be the first day that I use the super platinum model in an actual service. (coughs) In the interest of time, I'm going to abbreviate a little bit of it. And for those of you who have missed the last two sermons, actually all of you should do this. Um, You should follow along in your scripture in your Bible, in Joshua 9, and see how I do this list. So here we are, Joshua 9. I'll put it over here, Joshua 9. So, follow along. The first thing I'm going to put is Gibeonites, because the Gibeonites did something. What did they do? They heard something. The Gibeonites heard. Well, what's the obvious question? What did they hear? And it says, but when the Gibeonites heard. Everybody else was doing something else, but not the Gibeonites. They heard and they knew something was going on that was really interesting. And that was, of course, the destruction of Jericho, Rahab coming out of there alive. The destruction of Ai. And they knew they were marching towards them and they had to act. And they didn't decide to attack Israel. They said, we've got to have a plan. And their plan was this deception. That it says craftily, right? Maybe not in your translation, but it's a pretense. It's a deception. I'm writing too big. I have to be smaller. And then they go and they get a bunch of old, torn up junk, right? Torn up clothing, sacks, sandals, garments, and that's going to be their what? Bunch of rotten stuff, moldy bread. This is our plan. You can see them getting together and thinking to themselves, okay, we're going to outsmart these guys this time. Last time they killed everybody with circumcision. I am, again, this time we're going to take them out. What's our plan? Okay, get the smartest people in our city. We've got an incredible city, by the way, mighty, great fighters in there. Not going to fight, not going to fight because we're going to lose. Not going to fight them, so we're going to outsmart them. How are we going to outsmart them? Moldy bread. That's our plan. We're going to old sacks. We're going to get dirty clothes. That's going to work. And we're going to tell them that we're from a far country because we understand Deuteronomy 7 and we understand Deuteronomy 20. What is Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 20? Deuteronomy 7 says, kill everybody that's in the promised land. Deuteronomy 7, you don't have to kill everybody. If they're not from the promised land, you can make a peace covenant with them. And the Gibeonites said that worked out. So they're going to tell them, we are not, we are not from around here. Look at us, we got moldy bread, dirty feet, old garments, torn uh, clothes and wine sacks. And we want this Deuteronomy 20 peace pact. And they want a covenant. They want an oath. They want it down. Why do they want an oath, by the way, or a covenant? Why didn't they just take their word for it this time? Last time, didn't work out so good. Lots of dead ancestors. This time, because they knew what Deuteronomy 7 said. Kill everybody. This time, the women and the children aren't going to be taken. They're all going to be dead. This is different. This is a big ball game this time. This is for big boys, fighters. And we are are your servants, they said. We're your servants. Really? Our plan is to take our fighting force, go over there with a bunch of old junk and tell them we're your servants. Why is that in there? They heard of God, E-F-G-H. They heard. That's very important because that's come up twice now. They heard about what God did. They heard how, uh, and they saw how Rahab was spared, and they saw Jericho, and they saw Ai, but they also said they heard all what he did, including in Egypt. They saw what he did to who over there? Pharaoh, he destroyed the most powerful military on the face of the earth. What's their chances in Gibeon, even though they're tough? Yes, sir. Oh, absolutely they were. We talked about that last week. They spent a lot of time following these guys, as you would expect. And they listened to everything that went on. And Israel takes their evidence or their proof see this, all this stuff is their proof their proof that they're from a far country is a bunch of dirty clothes somebody knocks on your door tomorrow and he's dressed and he's filthy dirty and he says hey I'm not from around here I'm from Seattle you can tell because I got old bread I walked here and I'm kind of dirty what do you do Do you take his bread and his clothes? Hey, give me them clothes. I want that wine, that old bottle of wine. Give me that. That's what Israel did. Israel takes the evidence. What is that? What are they thinking? They accept it as true, by the way. This is an act of saying, we believe you i got 12-year-old boys that can come up with a better idea than this. But this works on Israel. What is Israel right now? Come on, what are they? Dumb. How can they be so dumb? That's an important question. Why would they fall for this? <laughs> Let me say this about televangelists right now. What televangelists say hardly has anything above the fourth grade level and how rich are they so Christians are dumb before we start making fun of Israel we fall for, we fall for the lady with the pink hair in the purple chair I'm good you've got to be kidding that is a rich woman how can that be that's the moldy bread stuff right I don't want you to be that person. I want you to be wise. You don't fall for nonsense like that. And they want to make peace. We want to make peace. That's very important to them. And it takes three days... Three days shows up. Three days to find out who they are, right? They get there on the third day, and now you're back in Genesis 34, because they killed them the first time after three days. So, right off the bat, you see the connection between Joshua 9 and Genesis 34. But they find they come to make peace, and they do make peace. Then Israel finds out, wait a minute, these guys are right over here. They find them, but they don't attack them. They let them live. Now, why didn't they attack? They did not attack. What's the obvious question? The oath or the covenant was obtained under false pretenses. How is it that I would allow that to stand? If that worked for you, somebody sells you a car, you find out later it's not their car. What are you doing? Oh well, I signed an oath. I signed an agreement. No, you're not. It's false pretenses. I don't accept that. You're going back on it. You're absolved from your oath because it was a lie that got it. That didn't happen here. Why not? Very important question. They did not attack. And by the way, it's the opposite of Genesis 34, right? Genesis 34 in the Dinah incident, I have Israel attacks the Gibeonites after Israel lies about the oath. Here I have the Gibeonites lying about the oath and then they're not attacked. Do you see that it is the exact opposite? It's the same elements, but the outcome is different. That is not an accident. Yahshua, Joshua, Yeshua. See, they come to make peace with Yeshua they make peace with Joshua Joshua, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yahshua same name as Christ right? they came to make peace with Jesus and they have an oath and you can't attack them you did not attack because of the oath you don't attack because you got an oath and then Joshua tells them they're cursed, really? that's a big question cursed I'm alive baby and I got a job I'm a carpenter I'm carrying water I'm a servant I'm a slave That ain't a curse a curse is what's going to happen to the other guys in fact these are not cursed people these are some of the most honored people in the Bible why is he calling them cursed they work in the temple they all they become the students of the temple They are the ones who understand the law of Moses. They're blessed. They're in the registry of Ezra. How can you call them cursed? That doesn't seem to make sense. And they become, as I said, woodcutters and water carriers. And what are they? They are the mighty men of Gibeon, the best fighting force in maybe the entire promised land. And they turn over. then they go on and they say to Joshua, We were clearly told that God commanded Moses to kill us and we're afraid. They feared greatly. They're afraid. Fear greatly. They believed it. They did not think that they were going to live. Notice the Gibeonites are acting out of what they hear and the fear of death. Destruction. They say, we can do whatever we got to do to you people to get you to leave us alone because we don't want to die. And we didn't come to you and say, hey, we're the happy, happy Gibeonites. Remember us, descendants of the people you slaughtered. We're throwing ourselves at your mercy. And what would have happened to them? They would have been killed. Why? Why would Israel have killed them? Deuteronomy 7, that's right. Kill them. So they come in with a lie. They knew Deuteronomy 7. They knew throwing themselves down for mercy and going to work. we are got to come in with a lie. we got to come in with a trick. And we know we got a whole bunch of dumb people, even though God's right there. They're going to fall for it. They're not going to talk to Him. They're going to leave Him alone. They're not going to say, "Hey, God, these people from a far country or not? No. They're not going to talk to God. And the Gibeonites know it. They know something else, too. They knew this was going to work. And then they give themselves over to Joshua and they said to him, do what is good and right to us. They will do what? They make peace with Joshua or Yeshua and then they do what? They trust him. Who are they? They are somebody that makes peace with God and then trusts them. Who are they? Find yourself in the story. And Joshua delivers them. They are delivered. Is it good when God delivers you? It is. God's the ultimate mailman. You want to be delivered by God into salvation. He does sometimes deliver you into condemnation as well. And then he tells them that they are for the altar. As Mark points out, they work in the altar. they got a great deal here. And now i got to go back and say, what is this cursed thing? I am cursed to have the best job ever. Even to this day. Okay, so there is your list. There's your Joshua 9 list. And so we do. We have time to go to Joshua 10. Yay for me. Why am I cheering for me? I get to flip the magic platinum dry erase board. Some people you may know have flippable chalkboards. Ha. That is so 19th century. I of course have all the technology of a 8 by 14 pad of paper. And a dry erase board. People ask me all the time, do you have a cell phone? <laughs> I do not. Therefore it is very hard to find me, isn't it? That's good. Okay. Now, I'm 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 not Giving the time on that list to go back to Genesis 34. That's where the Hivites and the Gibeonites were deceived and slaughtered. And the oath of circumcision uses a method of death after the third day. And Israel, is plund- Israel plunders the city of Gibeon. And here in Joshua 9, we have this reversal where Israel is now deceived and Gibeon lives. Okay, And that, is, that reversal must be noted. I have to say it again because I said it out of order. Now we have Joshua 10. And don't worry, these lists will stay on the board for a couple of three weeks. Here I have the king now, the king of Jehovah Jireh Salem. What does that mean? The king of, look in your Bible, it tells you Jehovah Jireh Salem. What is that? Jehovah Jireh is the place where Abraham takes Isaac, right? And he's going to sacrifice him. You have that great exact place. He's taking Isaac up the exact mountain to the exact place to where Christ himself would later come and choose to be crucified. And he calls it God provides peace, essentially. Jehovah Jireh. We sing the song. God provides. Salem. Jerusalem. So I have the king of Jehovah Jireh Salem. That's important whenever I have the king of God provides peace. And he also heard, see, the, see how it's all going to work here? He also heard the same thing, the Gibeonites. And then he heard that Gibeon made peace. Gibeon made peace. And how did he respond when he heard that Gibeon made peace? The Gibeonites were one of his best fighting forces. These were the guys he really was counting on. And they roll over. Gibeon made peace. And Gibeon was at the meeting. Everybody had a meeting where they decided they were going to stick together and attack the Israelites and be massacred just like the Egyptian army. And Gibeon said, hey, to us. Good luck with that plan. We're going with the moldy bread and the old shoes and torn clothes thing. That's our plan. He finds out that Gibeon made peace, and then he fears greatly. You see the pattern? It's almost exactly the same. He is the opposite, however, of of Gibeon, and he feared greatly because Gibeon was mighty. And he wanted them to fight with him. They were great and mighty, it said, a great city and mighty men and great fighters, and they roll over, and they made peace. Again, we have it this Gibeon made peace with Yeshua. And I'm writing really fast and it's hardly legible. But they make peace with Christ, if you will. And so I got now five kings that get together, and that number is not arbitrary. And they come up, those five kings, to attack Gibeon. And Gibeon does what? They're under siege. They do what? They send a message to who? Joshua. Do not forsake. i got a question today about eternal security from one of you. Here it comes. Here it's hidden in the Old Testament. Do not forsake your servants. We're in trouble. We're being attacked by the world. We need help. Do not forsake me. Come quickly. Save us. They've already had peace. They're already what? They yell out, come quickly, do not forsake us, save us. We're your servants. And they get back. Actually, do not fear shows up both to Joshua and ultimately to them. I have delivered them into your hands, he tells Joshua. God does. I have delivered your enemy into your hands. Here's where delivered into the... Have two delivers. Delivers into the hands of God for salvation... Are delivered unto condemnation. If he delivers them to Christ for condemnation, you should know that Christ is the judge of all. And Joshua immediately does what? What does he do? Does he say, "Well, let's see if they can hold out"? I don't want to. I don't want to worry about them. Even though, hey, listen, they got a covenant with us, and we didn't kill them. But it's not our problem now. They're under. They're under threat of somebody else. We said we wouldn't kill. Them. Never said, "Nanny, nanny, foo foo." I wouldn't let somebody else kill you. And it was a tricky little thing you did, so bummer to be you. Is that what he does? No, he marches all night. He takes off and he goes to help them. How do you think, by the way, the people thought of that? Because when they find out, and I didn't put it on the other list, when the people of Israel find out that they're not going to kill the Gibeonites, they're complaining. They're unhappy if you read the story. We want to kill the Gibeonites. We don't care about their oath. And the leaders have to stand between the people who want to kill the Gibeonites again and the Gibeonites. So you don't get to kill them because we have an oath. Well, the oath isn't right. It's a trick. We don't care. It's an oath. It's an oath. We made peace. Can't get them. And the people complained. Why'd they complain? They wanted the stuff again. The Gibeonites, they found out. They, they, they took the best. The Gibeonites had the offer, didn't they? They took it. That's the kind of people Israel is. The Gibeonites said, this is the best we got. We Got some old rotten shoes here. This one smells a little better than that one. Ha! I got a tore up coat. There you go. Piece of moldy bread for you. That's the best we got. Make peace. And then they find out three days later, they got a great city. And they want that stuff. And the first time they killed the Gibeonites, they got the stuff, didn't they? This time they didn't get the stuff. The Gibeonites knew who they were dealing with. So here we go. And then there's a great slaughter. And this is not just a slaughter. This is a great slaughter. Those five kings and everybody with them are all dead. By the way, it's what we call machine gun rocks. It's one of my favorite weapons of God. I always wanted to make a a video game called Machine Gun Rocks. Because he shoots rocks really fast and really accurately and he kills them all. How many Israelites died in this battle? You have five kings. You have thousands of people fighting. How many Israelites died? And so, None. Not one Israelite died. That's number one. Okay? Got to hustle now. He's shooting rocks at them. And then the sun stood still. And again, we'll get through hopefully. And then the moon also stopped. That makes perfect sense to me. There's no day like it. Q-O-P-Q. No day like it. Ever. Again, before or after. Five kings are hiding in the cave. Now what's that remind you of? I hope revelation. Because people decide to hide in caves. To hide from who? God. God. What's he doing to them? He's hitting them with rocks. And they think, ooh, I have a really good idea. I'm going to hide from God in my cave, or what I like to call a fallout shelter. Good luck with that. And he tells them to roll stones. And I talked about this last week. You start to see the crucifixion week show up here. and, And guard it. Put men to guard it. Okay? And then... Anytime you find the crucifixion, any element of the crucifixion when you find this cave. By the way, lots of people hide in caves. Lots of people hide in caves and we'll do that next week. David hides in a cave. Obadiah hides in a cave. People hide in caves. And so we put all the caves, Lot hides in caves, one of the great incest stories of all time. I love to have that secret sensitive sermon, incest. Right after we'll have, we'll have to do it again because of all this cave hiding. Right, Rollstone Christ in a cave. No one moved by the way their tongue. He shut up everybody. God is going to shut people up. The whole world will shut up. No tongue will will speak up. What does that remind you of? So now you know what else to do. And then he brings the five kings out. He puts the feet on their necks. He hangs them on five trees. And they're still in a big memorial. Okay, just so I can sum it up. Keeping in mind Genesis 34 as best you can when you're doing these two lists. And I'll remember to finish this list next week because I don't want to. I got hanging kings there. And no one dead. Keep in mind Genesis 34 and look at the two lists and begin making the obvious connections. The hearing, the great fear, but then the two different responses. Gibeon is moved to deceived and the king of Jehovah Jireh Salam is moved to attack. Who does he attack? He attacks Gibeon. Does that make sense? Gibeon seeks peace with Yeshua, with, with salvation, because Yeshua means salvation. They seek peace with salvation. They seek salvation, and they say that they will um, become slaves. They will put themselves into servitude and submission to avoid destruction. And the five kings, however, decide that they, what they want to do is kill the newly converted. That's their plan. You're newly converted. What happened if every time somebody came forward and became saved at Cliffside Community Chapel, which doesn't happen often because this is a teaching, not evangelical service, but let's say we bring somebody in and they get saved, it does happen here, and then the next thing that happens is everyone they know wants to kill them. That, by the way, does happen. The five kings seek to kill the newly converted. Note Neither attempts to attack Joshua. None of the kings want to attack Joshua. They want to attack the newly converted. Why does Satan want to attack the newly converted instead of attacking Christ? Because it's stupid to attack Christ. You're not, That's stupid. Satan cannot impact Christ he can attack the newly converted can he take your salvation away from you no he can't what can he do destroy your witness that's where the attack comes see here's the obvious question we're about done so hang in there here's the obvious question why don't the other kings do something? Gibeon comes with the moldy bread thing. Has that got a chance of working again? They'd all done it if they could have thought of it. Is the moldy bread thing going to work the next time? No. Uh-uh, I ain't trying that. So what's the obvious choice? Let's just, we're a committee. We're a city. Okay, spinard just got wiped out. We saw it. A couple of you went over there. You came back. You said they just, eat, they just slaughtered Spinard. And then we say Muldoon, though, went with the moldy bread. That seemed to work. They're fine. Okay, we're South Anchorage. We got, we got 50 of us, pretty tough, a lot of ammunition. Bill could pretty much fortify the entire South Anchorage just by himself. The National Guard's going to come to Bill when they run out of ammo. But the point of it is, is that what do we do? spinard has gone down, Muldoon's made peace, uh, Rabbit Creek just got slaughtered, uh, looks like it's bad news for Eagle River, even though there's a big fortress up there. What do we do? What's our plan? Let's have a meeting. We won't have Robin and Blue in the meeting. Why? They got motorcycles, and what did they do? They're gone. That's the obvious question, isn't it? Let them have the land. Why don't we all go Deuteronomy 20? These people cannot be stopped. I'm going to run. I am not going to fight a futile fight. Makes no sense. I am badly outnumbered. They have God. I don't. I am not fighting. What makes people fight? That makes no sense. Run. Motorcycle your way out of here. Instead, they attempt to fight. And that makes sense only in the light of typology. They don't get out. They don't give up the land. They stay and they fight. And they're slaughtered. That makes no sense except in typology. Because you cannot do what from Christ? You cannot run. And you cannot hide in caves. Good luck with that. Okay, in both Genesis 34 and Joshua 9, the Gibeonites attempt to join Israel. What is the primary difference? The first time the Gibeons thought that they could assimilate, the Gibeonites. They thought that they would assimilate Israel, if you remember the story. Let's all come back. Look, we're more of them than there is of us. We're going to get all their stuff, get all their women. It's going to be great. They thought they had the upper hand and they were slaughtered. This time, the second time, the Gibeonites totally surrender and submit themselves to slavery. And Israel takes from Gibeon in both places. First time, they took all their cattle, all their women, all their wealth, Genesis 34:28 through 29, and they massacred all the men. The second time in Joshua 9, they got moldy bread, torn clothes, dirty socks and shoes, a bunch of old sacks, and a bunch of really bad wine. And Gibeon lives. There's some real wonderful irony here. And Gibeon knew that would work. The Gibeonites knew. And what do they get for it? They get eternal life. They get a job at the altar. They get a job in the temple. They're heroes in Scripture. Honored. It's called an honored deception, by the way, in most theological studies. They did know two things. They knew that Israel could be fooled and would be fooled and that God would honor the covenant. They knew both those things going in. How'd they know that? How'd they know Israel would be fooled? Somebody said it. Mikey said it. These people paid a lot of attention to Israel. Did they know about the golden calf? Did they know about the bronze snake? Did they know about everybody's dead in the wilderness except who? Joshua and Caleb. Caleb. They knew this guy was one that did not die in the wilderness, didn't they? They saw all of that nonsense, the stubborn, they saw they know about the quail, they know about the rocks, they know everything. They paid attention. They listened. And they knew they could fool Israel, and they knew they could trust God. Pretty good ideas right there, and they're honored for that. Okay. Let's rise and be dismissed.